Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. If you want to listen live in the central Indiana area, you can hear us on 93.5 FM and 107.5 FM. Meantime, Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. He is back for yet another incredibly successful season to defy everything that I say in the previous hour when he punches his Texas Instruments calculator in the 4 o'clock hour. Ben Brown, a pro football focus, is going to tell me, according to the numbers, just how wrong I have been. Hello, Ben. How are you? J- JMB, it's been uh, it's been way too long, my man. How was your off season? Well, there is no off season. It was right? a hell of a lot better than my in season. I, I heard that uh, that okay. Wooderson that Wooderson reentry reminded me of the fact that I couldn't find enough smoke around here to smoke myself into enjoyment of that game this past Sunday. I don't even think I can find enough yeah. around here for that. You got to go a lot, long way west to find anything like that. I did <laughs> like the intro to the, uh, the movie Days to Confuse, though. That is, you know, yep. an all-time, all-time classic moment right there. Now you got a little, little, going right away. little computer sound effect, too, courtesy of Ready for the World and Digital Display on the return song. It's something that you're way, way too young to even know what the hell that is, but it's very appropriate. Just know that. <laughs> I know. I always listen to you at that. I mean, I, I got to take what I can get. I do know some of the historical culture pieces, you know, the, the 80s and the 90s, but uh, I definitely missed out on some of those glories. Well, I, I, I love you. And I love Kyle. Kyle. Kyle didn't know a damn thing either. Uh, he doesn't watch. He doesn't know anything I talk about. He just sits over there and shakes his head. Way too young. They come. I'm, I'm overextending, I think, my demographic here a little bit. All right. Um, let's start here. Do the numbers... Because I wondered this. In week number one, they tied with Houston. And they had 500-plus yards in total offense. So you combine weeks one and two, and I think they've been dismal. To me, you get six and a half quarters uh, of dreadful, unwatchable football out of the eight we have seen from the Colts through two games. Do the PFF numbers back that up? Yeah, it's been been pretty dreadful. And I would even say, you know, some context. The Houston Texans, uh, very young defense, I would say. So even, you know, putting up the 500 total yards, those sorts of things, uh, I would say you not necessarily expect it, but that would be, you know, a relatively decent or average performance against them. So it has been uh, poor, I would say, especially offensively from the Colts' perspective. And there's, you know, uh, hopefully some, some fixes in place that can definitely happen. But uh, if not, it's, it's going to be a long season, unfortunately, for so all of us. Ben Brown is from Pro Football Focus on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I just said this a couple of different times yesterday uh, from, I think, an educated angle to you know, also you could fair a guess. But the way this offensive line has played through two games, being the highest paid offensive line in the NFL, knowing what they just gave 20 mil per to the left guard, high dollar guys at center, at right tackle as well, searching for a left tackle, maybe even going with a rookie full-time sooner rather than later, um, they're going to end up getting their position coach fired if they're not careful here because you're the highest-paid yeah. offensive line of the NFL. I'm assuming the numbers bear out they have not looked at. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, Quentin Nelson, you paid him for what he can actually do, but, you know, outside of him, it's been really bad at both tackle positions. You know, right guard as well with Danny Pinter, it's been it's been unfortunate, right? And I do think if you look at, you know, some of the pressure situations that Matt Ryan was in on Sunday, I'm not going to, you know, gloss over his performance whatsoever, but, you know, 40% pressure rate, I do think that was, the one needed, you know, improvement from last year's team in order to probably maximize Matt Ryan's talents, right? I do think if you're comparing Wentz to Ryan 
Um, there was, you know, some escapability from Carson Wentz, at least to alleviate a stressful pocket, maybe duck under a pass rush and actually make that a positive yardage type situation. We did see him do that, you know, a few times last year. He has been doing it occasionally in Washington as well. But Matt Ryan doesn't offer that, right? He's kind of a, a sitting duck back there. And if you are getting pressure on him, on him quickly, he's going to struggle. And I think part of it is the offensive line. There also is probably a case to be made for, you know, the receiver separation type situation where guys just aren't getting open downfield. Matt Ryan's having to hang onto the football longer than what he would like to, but uh, it's, it's a breakdown fundamentally of, you know, almost every offensive position at this point. I'm kind of curious, and I bet you haven't run those numbers, but a year ago, a lot was said about how, you know, at 37, Matt Ryan could have a rebirth here because he's got a better supporting cast, specifically an offensive line, but through the first two weeks, I'm assuming there are probably some connections can be made with the level of poorness in which that line in Atlanta played a year ago to what we have seen from this Colts line in the first two weeks. Yeah, definitely. yeah, it's been it's been very similar. I do think you know right around like a 38 to 40 percent pressure rate. Um, you know, Matt Ryan, I would say, was better last year. Um, maybe not no, so much early on, but um, had had at least flashes right now um, throughout the you know the 17 game regular season. But uh, nothing really positively, I would say, from that perspective right now. And I do think that you know when he is in those pressure situations, he's going to break down. We saw you know the three interceptions basically all coming in those type pre- type of pressure situations, and he's just uh, not handling it well. Probably not trusting his offensive line to a certain extent, but. Uh, the, the receiver and, and the secondary receiver options as well, I think, are you know pretty big pressing issues that we were all aware of in the off season, uh, and, and they've done you know really nothing to alleviate those concerns so far. It's Ben Brown of PFF with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So tell me this: according to your numbers, is Matt Ryan as washed as he's looked now through two games, or? According to your numbers, is that more of a product of those that aren't stepping up that the Colts thought that they might around him? Because he, he looks he looks like he's passed at this point right now. Yeah, and I and I would agree with you on that. I do think you know getting Michael Pittman back into the fold. Obviously, he was a pretty significant loss for a wide receiver unit. That you know, I would say Naheem Hines is probably the you know second best option that they have in the receiving game right now. Uh, so without Michael Pittman there was just no receiver separation, right? I think through the first two games of the year, right. Matt Ryan's percentage of targets to open receivers is by far the lowest in the NFL. Uh, you look at who's second on that list, a guy like Justin Fields. Justin Fields at least has the ability, I would say, to maneuver around a pocket and buy additional time for his receivers to get open. That's not something that you know Matt Ryan's comfortable in doing. He doesn't really look comfortable uh, you know, in Frank Reich's offense as well, getting the ball out quickly. So, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a stacked on frustrating issue where there's just a number of things wrong right now and you know part of that is Matt Ryan definitely passed his prime could he play well throughout the latter half of the season I think so but that's going to require you know a, a pretty drastic resurgence from both the receiving unit uh, and the offensive line in order to not necessarily carry him but at least give him you know the best situation and space with which to operate it. And, and Ben, I think part of the issue is here. I would expect the offensive line to play better because I mean, hell, you couldn't play any worse than you did last week. And right. you know, obviously, the highest paid offensive line, everybody deserves to see better there. I just don't know outside of getting Michael Pittman Jr. healthy. I, I I respect that and getting back in there and understand that he's going to put up numbers. I just don't know what else you can possibly lean on and. 
and also the fact that, that Frank Reich has struggled again and it was blamed like everything else was a year ago on Carson Wentz, but you know, he goes a game on Saturday or Sunday, I should say, uh, and just again underutilized Naheem Hines, who had a spark at the beginning of the game when they right. used him, but ended up, you know, looking at guys like Desmond Patman offensively more as the game went along. And 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 to me that's inexplicable as to why you cannot consistently find a spot for Naheem Hines. And that has been a struggle. It was blamed on Wentz a year ago, and it was still on the coach, but it was blamed on Wentz. I, I mean, obviously this is on the coach to this point. Right. And I and I definitely agree. And I think, you know, Naheem Hines, what, had like three targets in the very first drive, did start the game, you know, as as the running back. But there has to be, you know, offensive packages where they have both Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines on the field, right? Because I think outside of Michael Pittman, those are the two best playmakers with the ball in your hand. And you need to find a way to get both those guys on the football field as often as possible. And I do think that, you know, the, 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 the creativity aspect of Frank Reich, I think, you know, a lot of times that was something we thought he was pretty good at scheming up an offensive play design. Uh, but it's been, I would say, lackluster at best and probably for the past year and a half. And I do think, you know, Carson Wentz probably received more of the blame uh, than what actually he should have gotten, I would say. Looking looking at it now through, you know, the first two weeks of this 2022 season, it seems like, you know, almost any quarterback would struggle uh, given the context of what the Colts have provided for them. Ben, I know people around here are going to think I'm a complete ass for doing this, but if you wouldn't mind, could you uh, regurgitate some of the numbers in the first two weeks in comparison of Ryan and Wentz in new places? Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> it's been interesting. And I do think, you know, offensively, um, the, the playmakers around Carson Wentz have been much better, right? I do think that if you look at a guy like, you know, Jahan Dotson, first-round pick. Uh, people expected him to be really good. He's been way better than, I would say, even advertised, right? Yep. Um, really clearly able to get open, those sorts of things. Outside of that context, I mean, from, I would say, you know, the 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 thing that Carson Wentz, you know, will probably always be knocked for is, like, the turnover-worthy play rate, making poor decisions in the pocket. He has 4.7% turnover-worthy play rate this year. He's had five of those throws. Uh, on 95 attempts, um, and Matt Ryan has been uh, significantly worse, I would say. He leads the NFL in turnover-worthy plays so far. He has six for a 6.5% uh, turnover-worthy play rate on uh, 83 attempts. So it's 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 bad, right? The sack situation is also, you know, not really all that close. I think he took, well, I guess they both basically have taken seven sacks. The problem is, uh, you know, like we talked about before, Carson Wentz, can at least alleviate some of those pressure situations. Matt Ryan's had two registered scrambles. Uh, Carson Wentz has had five so far. So it's been, um, it's been, I would say more so one-sided in Carson Wentz's direction. I do think that, you know, one of the more telling things has been, uh, you know, I talked about the turnover-worthy play rate, but the big-time throw rate, how often is a guy actually making an a, a NFL pro downfield type throw that's right on the money? I think we have Carson Wentz basically at four so far this year. Uh, 4.2% rate. Matt Ryan has won um, in the second game. And that, I think that was kind of, you know, after uh, the, the outcome was already uh, known in that matchup against the Jacksonville Jaguars. So it uh, just hasn't provided much upside. And there's been, you know, a whole lot of downside and blame, uh, I would say, for Matt Ryan. And I think that's well-deserved. Well, ben Brown, PFF data analyst, betting analyst on the Andy Moore Automotive Group pylon every Tuesday after a weekend of NFL. He joins us to talk about that. So where 
after two weeks does this Colts offensive line rank with others right now in those major categories, according to PFF? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so we have them basically, uh, I would, I think, like 23rd overall in our opponent-adjusted pass block grade, uh, which hasn't been, you know, all that bad. I think they're 15th uh, in a run block grade. I think, you know, last year they had a top-10 ranking uh, throughout the entire season where, you know, obviously providing, you know, Jonathan Taylor with room to operate. That wasn't the case, you know, on, on Sunday. They granted they did fall behind early, but I think he had like five carries for five yards in the first half or something like that did finally break off some things, you know, once again, when the game was uh, relatively in hand for Jacksonville, but they, they need to play better, I think. But I think, you know, the main issue, I know you talked about, you know, the offensive line being, uh, you know, the, the page unit, the one that needs to actually step up and perform, but their, their pass route, their, their wide receiver unit, their pass catchers have been, uh, you know, close to, if not the worst unit overall in the NFL from a PFF grading perspective. And I think that's where, um, you know, you, you, you kind of need to start if you're actually going to write this ship. And I don't know what that entails. Um, you know, we talked. <laughs> yeah. uh, talk Nobody else does either. Yes. About, <laughs> I mean, we talked, but this is the thing. So there were, you know, they had a little bit of flexibility. I don't know their exact contract situation right now, but there were, you know, some veteran receivers that you would have expected. Maybe they could have at least kicked the tires. Oh, yeah. Right? Well, I, I talk, talk about them all the time here. Jones. Yeah. Yeah. And we, I mean, we talked about Julio Jones. We both kind of loved that idea. Obviously, he got hurt in week two and wasn't, you know, available right. either or whatever. But he looked very, I would say, spry in week one. He looked like a, a, a guy that could contribute a number of high-value snaps to a pass-catching unit that needs it. And I think you see, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, um, you know, with with Tom Brady at quarterback, I would say, you know, if anybody is similar to Tom Brady's game from a quarterback perspective, it would kind of be Matt Ryan. What do they do when they have these injury situations? They bring in new guys. They're bringing in Cole Beasley. They're bringing in, you know, anybody that can maybe offer some sort of ability to separate downfield for Tom Brady. And if they can do that, he can hit them and they can make a play. And that that's what happens. And I think, you know, the Colts with the veteran quarterback have gone the complete opposite way. And I'm not saying that, there isn't value in drafting some of these young guys, but uh, you know, if a guy like Alec Pierce isn't going to contribute right away and you are hoping to win now, you need to figure out what's going to happen at that secondary wide receiver position. No, so there's, we'll there's no doubt about that. And, and see, I think also what's kind of horrifying to Colts fans out there is we, we were talking about through two weeks and you said near the bottom of the NFL, as far as their wide receivers are concerned. And, you know, you, you take out, on Sunday, Michael Pittman Jr., because he had, you know, nine for 121 in that initial week. I can't imagine what that might look like at all if you would have to go another week without Michael Pittman Jr. You just have no chance right. in that receiving room. Right. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. I mean, like Michael Strachan is a guy that I think, you know, can maybe win downfield a little bit. But there was, you know, a, 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 I would say like a, a two-drive sequence toward the end of the second quarter um, that I think kind of like epitomizes where the Colts are at right now, right? I think it was like, you know, five minutes and 56 seconds left, third and six, you know, or something like that. And Desmond Pitton drops what would have been a pretty easy first down. He did. He did. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Penalty, right? Um, so I think it was like third and one. They have the penalty. They go to third and six. He drops it or whatever. They're already down 14 points at that time. You absolutely need, you know, a, a, a scoring drive there to kind of keep it close. Uh, and they punt and the Jaguars, you know, move the ball. Uh, I think it was like third and eight or something, and there was like three minutes left. Um, and they had the completion to Evan Ingram. And, you know, Stephon Gilmore 
had him wrapped up before the line of scrimmage doesn't doesn't make that play. He does end up getting the first down, does extend the drive that doesn't end up, you know, resulting in any points or anything like that. But I think, you know, those those two plays are plays that winning football teams make, you know, week in and week out every single week. And unfortunately for the Colts, both offensively and defensively, uh, you know, they're not making those plays right now. And I think, you know, as much as you want to harp on, you know, the players and everything else, I do think there is probably some coaching, you know, uh, issues that go into that as well. Well, I mean, uh, losing sight of, you know, Naheem Hines for what he did, certainly. It's interesting. You look at these these list of pass catchers, and I'll lump both wide receivers and tight ends. Each, at least once this season, has had a nice moment. But collectively yep. and clearly, outside of Michael Pittman Jr., they, they have not done enough. And you could probably think more about the plays – in the first two weeks that haven't been made. Alec Pierce dropped that right. sure touchdown grab against Houston early on in the game. That changed the entire dynamic of that game that ended up being a tie. Mo Cox couldn't get uh, that right foot down in the end zone um, on Sunday as well that, you know, obviously could have at least got them on the board if for nothing else. Right. It's it, it's not just about these guys not getting separation. They're, they're just not playmakers outside of one. Right. And that's not doable in this era of the NFL, is it? Right. I mean, I think that, and maybe taking like a step back a little bit, I think there is, you know, an an idea of these being tested at the NFL level right now. And I think, you know, we saw that with, you know, some of the wide receiver, veteran wide receivers movement this offseason going from, you know, a team with an established quarterback, you know, all the, Devontae Adams with Aaron Rodgers kind of going to, and that maybe isn't the best example, you know, Derek Carr, but I think, you know, Patrick Mahomes established quarterback uh, moving on from Tyreek Hill. They're kind of trying to do this, um, do this sort of like wide receiver by committee type approach. Uh, And and I think that can work if you have at least, uh, you know, a, a floor type level of wide receiver play. Like the, the, the chiefs didn't completely start over and go with a bunch of guys that, you know, outside of one uh, was draft either. They, they went out and they have, you know, Juju Smith Schuster. They went out and signed Marcus Valdez Scantling. They brought in some veteran presence and also drafted the guy. And I think that maybe the missing piece is the fact that there was no, um, you know, there wasn't a, a consideration for bringing in a veteran guy alongside Michael Pittman and Alec Pierce to at least, offer some sort of semblance of productive pass route snaps. And I think that's, um, you know, an unfortunate situation, but, um, you know, one that the Colts definitely find themselves in. Maybe this is just one game, Ben, in an example, but I'm going to use Miami as that example. The Tua, yep. Tua probably can't a lot of times throw into a tight window better than you and I. But between yep. Waddle and Hill, did you watch on Sunday? These guys were running wild, wide ass open the entire right. day. That makes and that's right. the reason why I bring that up is because that was, you know, what was thought supposed to be a key ingredient here. Pass protection for a guy that doesn't make mistakes, thirty seven year old Matt Ryan, and you know, being able to give him a better pass catching group, which clearly they haven't. And then you look at Tua in Miami, and if you watch again against the Ravens, these guys are wide open nonstop. And that makes right. your quarterback that may not be that accurate better and look more accurate Much because of what you have right. uh, in that speed and athleticism category. And Miami went out and got it. Yeah. And that's, and that's, and that's the thing, right? And I do think, you know, going back to the macro team building approaches, that's what the rookie quarterback deal kind of offers you, right? You can go out there and get, uh, you know, a legitimate 
number one type wide receiver and pay him top of the market money. That's what, you know, Tyreek Hill did with Miami. That's what, you know, A.J. Brown did with Philadelphia. And I think that's, you know, the approach that a lot of, you know, I would classify them as smart organizations are doing now. They're going out and finding, uh, you know, a quarterback that maybe isn't the most accurate or best or established, but they're rolling with him on that rookie deal and they're putting around weapons that other teams can't afford because they're paying their quarterback, you know, close to top of market or veteran quarterback, you know, starting market money. And I think that's maybe the balance that the Colts were, you know, trying to go, go with obviously recycling some of these veteran quarterbacks and seeing if one stuck, but there is a, there is the the other side of the coin and the approach that maybe, you know, other teams were taking that they could have taken into account as well. And we're not sure, you know, exactly what that would have looked like, but, even having, you know, that option of a rookie quarterback can, you know, uh, sometimes offer, you know, more upside than what a lot of people actually anticipate. So Ben Brown of PFF with us. I mean, Jacksonville is a pretty good example, too. Everybody was complaining about how much money, you know, they ended up paying Christian Kirk. And, you know, he's got three touchdowns in two weeks. And that team is is one and one after uh, bouncing the Colts 24 nothing last week. So that, that to me, I, I, overpay. But you have to have that type of presence. I mean, you just do in this modern era of NFL. Actually, you have to have multiple that types of presence in this this era of the NFL. And and I do. Yeah, and I think, you know, you bring up an interesting point with Christian Kirk, but that's like kind of the exact thing that the Colts are missing, right, is this really good, uh, you know, not necessarily completely slot wide receiver position, but a, a guy that can separate quickly. It's supposed and, to be Paris Campbell. Guy yeah. Kind of, yeah, it's supposed to be Paris <laughs> yeah. Campbell, but I think, you know, even Paris Campbell is like not necessarily that that type of prototype of guy that they need to actually be the hot route in situations where Matt Ryan's being blitzed or Matt Ryan's under pressure. They just don't have that right now. And I think, you know, maybe Naheem Hines can somewhat be that guy, but I think, you know, that's the piece that they're missing. They're missing, and the, the, the stooped-up version, of course, is the Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hills who can separate against anybody at any level of the field. Uh, but even having a guy, you know, underneath that can get you five or six yards uh, a catch and can give you enough of a window to actually make those types of throws, they just don't have that, unfortunately, right now. And I think that's where, you know, a big reason why the offense is breaking down uh, as much as it is. All right, Ben, final thing regarding the Colts' defense. There's another area – and I talked about this, and remember, I was in love with Yannick Ngakwe, and you kicked me right in the nads and said he's a really good rotational guy. And I, I think we were both wrong because through two weeks, um, I was exceptionally wrong, and he's not even been rotationally good or noticed so far. What gives with him? Is this just who he is? Will he adapt further? to certainly a defense he's been a part of with a coordinator he's been with and successful before and how underachieving has especially the defensive front of the Colts been through two weeks. Yeah, I would say Yannick Ngakwe especially has been, you know, a a pretty big disappointment. I think we have him charted for like three uh, total pressures in week one, one in week two, and that's, that's where he can win, right? That's where he is at his best is that situational pass rusher, but in run defense, it's been uh, it's been really, really bad, unfortunately. And you know, two missed tackles uh, against the Jaguars, no real contribute. You know, maybe you know, a stop or two here or there. But I had a friend of mine suggest that he wants no part of the run, and that's the way this looked. No, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't think he wants any part of the run. I, you know, um, you know, I think DeForest Buckner obviously 
can contribute quite a bit. I think maybe his injury situation is obviously impacting a little bit his performance. But, you know, Grover, Grover Stewart's a guy that uh, we have graded really well so far. I think his run defense grade, 86.5 through two games. You know, he's, he's kind of the reason that they're having any success, you know, stopping, uh, stopping the run. And I do think, you know, having him continue to up his snaps a little bit more as much as they can possibly get out of him is probably going to be, you know, the best option for that interior defense line, I would say. So, is there, you think there's going to be a point to where we see Ngakwe only in in passing situations, and very very obvious passing situation. Yeah. I, I mean, I so yeah, very I, obvious uh, passing. So, man, you're you're sinking you're sinking my boat pretty quick here. You know what you are. <laughs> I think, and I mean, you know, obviously they need you know Shaquille Leonard back and stuff like that, and that'll right. you know uh, provide some more depth and everything else. EJ Speed's actually played quite well at the middle linebacker position, but it's it's. It's yeah, I think you know my boy Keithy Pay has actually been I would say okay as well. So you know Yannick's been I would say the weak link uh, along that front four. Um, maybe mixing you know somebody else in a little bit more. I do think can provide you know maybe a much needed spark uh, and hopefully kind of you know continue on allowing them to get that pressure against the quarterback. Just wonderful, absolutely <laughs> wonderful. But we did remark a year ago, and I know it was a different a different defensive coordinator and all that. Uh, at least uh, a different defensive coordinator, maybe not drastically a you know different defensive setup here. But the only reason that group a year ago was even close to being good was because of the playmaking ability of the linebacker that's been unavailable through the right. first two weeks. And that's the other part that I was thinking about yesterday and talking about this team defensively. That's what they remind me of. They remind me of a team right. a year ago that, you know, what they would look like without – that playmaking ability of of, of uh, then Darius Leonard now Shaquille Leonard. Yeah, and I and I, and I definitely agree. And you know, I, they absolutely need him back this weekend. They absolutely need Michael Pittman back uh, this weekend as well. The, the the challenge doesn't get any easier. You know, at home trying to slow down Patrick Mahomes. So they you know they have been banged up, uh, but this is you know this is this is a pretty big spot for the Indianapolis Colts in twenty twenty two. If they want to if they want to do something, maybe they don't win outright. But I think. You know, actually having a, a a performance that we can look back on and actually appreciate some finer points, uh, I think will go be a big step towards if they're actually going to be successful or not in 2022. Um, I love the film Apollo 13. Um, tell me, and this is this is much like Gene Kranz, who was the flight director, that was Ed Harris, the actor, back in 1995. So, can you tell me, Ben Brown, a PFF, uh, as far as the Colts are concerned, what's good? What do we have here that's good through two weeks? I mean, I did think Michael Pittman looked really good in that week one uh, week one win. I know I mentioned him a little bit ago. I think Grover Stewart um, does provide quite a bit of run defense, and I do, do think you know that's a that's a spot that they can definitely uh, anchor to in a lot of situations. But outside of that, you know, Quentin Nelson, you paid him. He's doing what you asked of it, and uh, that's that's been uh, you know mainly the whole story. I do think Stephon Gilmore as well. Uh, was a really smart, savvy sign, and I do think he's going to end up, you know, proving to be very valuable given his contract. But uh, he's a piece that, you know, it, it is really good on a, on a winning team. And if and if the rest of the team is kind of faltering, uh, there's only so much he can do to provide support. I would say. Hey Ben, if we were playing the Kansas City Colts matchup Sunday on your Commodore Vic 20 in 1983, what would the outcome be? More times than not. I mean, it would probably be uh, it would be a uh, you know a, a Chiefs victory. I do think you know I can give 
um, I, I should tweet out some numbers later, but I do think we have, you know, um, we, we would say that there's probably a little bit of value on, you know, the Colts to cover six and a half points. We have their win probability uh, right around 30.3%. So it's, it's, it's not, un, it's not completely unlikely. Uh, there's definitely a chance. And I do think that it's going to take their best, their best performance from basically every position on Sunday in order to do it. Okay. So you're saying there's a chance is what you're saying. There's a chance. 30, 30.3% chance is what I'll give you, I guess, on my, <laughs> on my uh, TI-89 is all, is all I'll go for. What, what, what's funny about this is, in closing, um, and I understand why people do. Uh, I'm not saying they shouldn't because there is history of this team you know, getting up off the carpet. They did a year ago, started out one and four, but they let everybody down at the end. But there's a history of starting slow and uh, and then rising back up. I just felt that what we witnessed on Sunday looked a lot different than other years, the way that they had started. I mean, it was there was just something about four quarters of unwatchable, consistently unwatchable football that to me was a lot different than, for example, what we saw in week two against the Rams a year ago. So it just right. – and, and they lost that game, but it was a competitive game. And I don't know. I hope that's not the case. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to find out a lot on Sunday. That's what I know for sure. So we'll see how, we'll see how both of us are feeling, you know, at this time next week. But hopefully uh, there's at least some good takeaways, I would say. Glad you're back, brother. I appreciate you. We'll do it again I, next Tuesday. I, try not to be so stinking depressing for the Colts fans next week, okay? Can you try? I'll, I'll take some – yeah, I'll, I can do that for you. We'll be back. That's what I'm saying. We need some – we need some good plays here on Sunday. Call the good plays and stuff like that so we can actually get back to at least being somewhat optimistic. That's what I got to be, right? I mean, uh, I, I'm right there with everybody. I'm a Vikings fan, so it's just been, you know, uh, we're two ships in the same sea right now. Would That's you rather have Kirk Cousins or Matt Ryan right now? I would rather have Kirk Cousins still, but I, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, Kirk is who he is. That was, you know, Probably the worst Kirk performance that I've had to, you know, sit through. And there has been a lot of bad ones um, yesterday, but <laughs> it's the, the, the talent around him, I would say, is is at least, you know, with Justin Jefferson, and I would say Adam Thielen as well, yeah. at least offers a little bit more upside than what the Colts have. Yeah, there's no question about that. It's been four years running. We've been whining about that around here. Ben, I appreciate you. Well, thanks, guys. We'll talk to you later. And we'll do it again next week. Ben Brown with the depressing – analytics of the first two weeks of the cold season for pff via the andy moore automotive group hotline awesome and then greta van fleet was the last band on before pearl jam uh and so watch them i thought greta van fleet was okay took a little bit more out of them they were kind of like metal fish they were kind of jam bandish to me uh on saturday night but pearl jam Played the hits, played them well. None of those guys have lost a thing musically. They were fantastic. Is there a song from the catalog that they don't play that disappoints you? Well, I mean, in two hours, they've got such a catalog, I don't think they can get to everything. So, like, for example, I thought they were going to end with Better Man. Yeah. They didn't. They actually ended with, like, their only cover of the night. They played Five Minutes of Purple Rain to kind of end the show uh, as part of their encore. I'm like, didn't see that one coming, uh, but they were great with it. Um, but, but no, I mean, when you have that big of a catalog and you got a two hour set, you're going to be able to get to everything. You, did, just, you just can't. Did they do yellow lead better? They did not do uh, yellow lead better either. I like that. I like yeah. that a lot. That's so a lengthy, that's a lengthy tune. They played, played so many of the hits, not all of them. Man. 
Uh, anyway, uh, congratulations on that. I, and I didn't know that you also saw a little bit of Crowded House. That's money right there with that Australian band. Nice. I'm not going to lie. I, I was in line for, like, Lynchburg Lemonades most of the time when Crowded House was playing, but I acknowledged that I was there to hear them at Bourbon and Beyond. Something so strong, don't dream it's over. Two big Crowded House hits back in the 80s. Greg Rakestraw via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Uh, we've been talking about the Colts going back to Sunday, and uh, we've been trying to find reasons why. You, you know, better part of seven months, you go from being embarrassed, clown, knocked out of the postseason, uh, and then you go back to the scene of that embarrassment, as I mentioned, nearly seven months or so later, and you look even worse. From your vantage point, what did all that entail? And for those out there believing this team can get up off the carpet, does it seem a little bit different in these first two games than it did, for example, when they lost the first three a year ago? It, it did just because, you know, we, we kind of knew that that maybe the first couple of games are going to be rough last year uh, because at the time, you know, Seattle is the vaunted Seattle Seahawks. Little did we know they would, they would fall off the face of the earth towards the back half of last year. But when you lose that game last year, you're like, all right, hey, Seattle's in contention every year. We kind of thought the Rams would be who they were, and that was a game that the Indianapolis Colts were competitive in until the very end. You kind of chalk up the third loss to playing with, you know, Carson Wentz that couldn't move against the Tennessee Titans. And so, you know, there, there is a bit of a different feeling because of the caliber of, of opponent that you played to start 2021 as compared to, yes, having a team in Jacksonville has given you fits, but, you know, two teams that combined to win seven games last year. And the Colts have a, have a tie and a loss and about as embarrassing of a loss as you can have about as ineffective of a loss as you could have, where the team did next to nothing offensively for a good chunk of the game. So, yeah, I mean, I think the overwhelming feeling is is that so much of the offseason and so much of training camp was talking about, hey, getting off to a better start, hey, not being, you're not going to punch uphill again, and, and here we are, and so that's deflating. I really haven't thought about it, to be honest with you, in comparison to, uh, to, you know, in comparison to how it felt versus 2021 versus this year, and that makes it even worse. It's Greg Rakestraw here, the postgame show host on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. To me, uh, the worst thing is, you know, okay, pass catchers, whatever, no Michael Pittman Jr., whatever. We know basically how that was going to go. But both sides, the foundational blocks of yep. the Chris Ballard vision, have failed so far miserably, absolutely miserably, which calls into question exactly where this team is going beyond having a 37-year-old quarterback that looks pretty washed at this point. To me, it's the offensive line, and I'm not trying to sit here and sing the praise of the defensive line has played. But, you know, because so much of an investment is made in the offensive line because of the money that Quentin Nelson just got, because of the money that Ryan Kelly has received, is the money that Braden Smith got before last year's deal. Um, there is always more expected of you when you are taking up a large chunk of the salary cap. That is the case in the NBA. That is the case in the National Football League. And sure it's the case in Major League Baseball. We don't talk about it as much here in Indianapolis. But you, you, you have to play to the level of your salary, if not better. And clearly, the Indianapolis Colts offensive line is not doing that. Now, is the defensive line anything great shakes right now? No. I mean, what Trevor Lawrence is pressured on three 
of his 30 dropbacks on Sunday. So there, there's plenty of blame to go around, and there's maybe a couple of guys that can feel good about their performance on Sunday. Like Grover Stewart, I thought he showed up. I agree. Matt Hawk, I thought played well. If I get to the punter second, that's kind of an idea uh, in in terms of, of, of what – how overall bad that performance was on Sunday. So it's it's got to be better, as simple as that, and it's got to be better against better competition, which is a problem. Uh, so Greg Rakestraw on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, too. I, I'd factor in Jonathan Taylor just because of week one, uh, and then right. obviously because of last week the offensive line was, was so incredibly bad. But uh, – I, I it just it seems like if they're going to turn it around, it likely would not be coming up on Sunday against Kansas City. And then this team started a year ago one and four, got that first win uh, against Miami, if you remember. And then uh, you know obviously after that went out when they were uh, one and three and and lost to Baltimore in uh, embarrassing fashion in their own right in Baltimore in that game. But uh, they did pick it up later. Does this seem like a team that you think is is going to be like the past and will be able to pick it up? You know, considering what they have competition-wise on the schedule moving forward? From what I've seen the first two weeks, I would say no. But what from what history tells me, yes. Just because it's not like they're playing a truckload of rookies at key positions. These are guys that have been there and done that. And so the guys that have played for this football team in the past, they frankly have experience in terms of, of, of climbing back. Uh, from from rough starts or tougher starts of the year. The guys that are new here, well, I've got 14 years of experience telling me what Matt Ryan can do, and I mean that as a compliment, not a negative. Um, The same for Yannick Ngakwe. The same for Stephon Gilmore. So history tells me that this group can bounce back and that there's 15 games left to go and that they're they're in the ultimate gift that keeps on giving in terms of playing of of the AFC South. But do I have any level of confidence from watching them play against Houston or Jacksonville? It's hard to find that right now, John. What's the race to total wins in the AFC South to win the division? I get the feeling we're sitting at nine. I thought that number was 10 or 11. I think that number has been lowered, given the fact that, you know, the teams in the division are combined one, five, and two uh, at this point in time. And the only win comes against somebody else from the division. So, I feel let's drop that number, John. You get to nine. I kind of like your chances right now. Yeah, I'd, um, I would agree. I, I just thought you looked at Jacksonville on Sunday, and I just don't think this was kind of that blip on the radar. They just looked like a better, well-coached organization, uh, better top-end players, better younger athletic players. They look like that they're a team – for the future in which the Colts are not, on the other hand. And I know that that all goes with being disappointed after a loss, but honestly, that's the way that it looked. It didn't look like last year when it was just a team that had nothing to play for, stepped up and clowned on the Colts. This looked like a legitimate stepping stone for a team that's going to be an issue for a number of years within this division. Listen, at some point, when you draft as high up in the draft as Jacksonville has done consistently over the last say most of the last seven or eight years with that one AFC championship game run they had as the exception, you're going to get a good amount of talent. (laughs) It's a long process to get there, but you have enough high first round picks. You're going to figure it out at some point in time and you give them a Super Bowl winning coach and enough of those guys, they'll figure it out. So I'm still not sure that it is this year for Jacksonville, 
But as long as you can get a guy that can coach quarterbacks, which clearly, clearly Doug Peterson can, then you've got a shot in Jacksonville. I think it's exactly where they are right now. All right, Greg, what do you make of this Chiefs team and their start and, and what they have still going for them, even without having Tyree Kill run amok in secondaries across the NFL? You have Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. You're going to win a lot of football games. And so I, I still think there's a bit of a feeling out process as to what the offense, you know what the offense is going to look like, but exactly, you know, who's the guy that when you have to go make a play, the non-quarterback division, who that guy is going to be for this football team. But let's face it, you got Patrick Mahomes on your team, you're going to win 11 or 12 games seemingly every year. That's what I think of this Chiefs team. Yeah, you just, yeah, I mean, you still have Kelsey. You know, you go out and you bring in a couple of veterans. And here's what I like what they did. They went out and, and grabbed a couple of veterans. I'm sure you know, nothing numbers-wise will pop off the page yet for, you know, Valdez Scandling or for Smith-Schuster. But you also draft you know, Sky Moore for the future as well. It just seems like that they, they end up, and I know that it helps certainly because they have that solidified quarterback, that elite-level quarterback, but, you know, they're just kind of picking up and playing in this era where the Colts are playing in a completely different era. Again, I'll give a lot of credit to Andy Reid. He's a heck of a coach. Uh, and not only do you have a, a generational quarterback, but you have tools that fit the way the, tools that fit the way that he likes to play. That's a pretty potent combination they've got in Kansas City. No doubt about that. Greg Rakestraw on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. What you got coming up this week? So coming up, let's see, I got Lawrence North and Ben Davis uh, coming up on Friday night. Uh, and then, believe it or not, I have a, another day off on Saturday. It's rare that I have back-to-back Saturdays off, but I've got that. And so just a little family birthday get-together and then hanging with you for a good chunk of the day on Sunday. Oh, yeah. Up in the old press box. Back to the press box again on Sunday. So um, can't wait. <laughs> And you two, you two doing that. I bet, I bet you guys loved. I was listening to a little bit of the post-game show. That had to be brutal. Uh, I've had more fun Sunday afternoons, let's put it that way. But uh, my job in that scenario is to let people vent. Uh, and, and we had three hours of that. And, John, I'm not sure. The only other time I can think of this, that we had to turn as many people away in terms of, hey, we are simply out of time. As we, as we did on Sunday, was after the Peyton Manning return game in 2013, albeit at 3 in the morning. Um, but we literally, I played a Naheem Hines interview and Frank Reich's postgame press conference. Other than that, for two hours and 55 minutes, it was myself and Billy and Barry and just letting people go off on the phone lines. And uh, that's kind of the, the nature of the gig. Yeah, that's exactly what they did. Oh, you got a big one coming up this weekend, don't they? Well, they do, just because this will kind of, you know, prove yeah. it exactly where they are. Again, I, I, I don't think Tony Horton, just because the record indicates, I don't think UC is as good as, as they were a year ago. But I still think this is going to be a pretty tough test for Tom Allen and company. But if they can find a way to get this, and I think they're going to be a bowl team uh, coming up uh, uh, here a couple months from now. The level of disappointment that Boilermaker football fans are dealing with regarding this start. Should be disappointed, but at the same time, you know, they're almost comforted in the same way that, you know, Colts fans yeah. are from the AFC South. Because I don't think anybody in the Western Division is any good, so it's still there for the taking. But the way that you have found ways to lose or found ways to allow teams to find a way to beat you, that's a problem 
for Jeff Brom. And so uh, this team at worst should be two and one, probably should be three and zero. Oh. The fact you're sitting there at one and two is not good, but really the, the record that matters most, you're 0 and 0 in the Western Division of the Big Ten. And obviously that starts up coming up uh, here real quick. Here's Greg Rakestraw, the Colts postgame show host, coming up after the Colts home opener with the Chiefs on Sunday. And he and his lovely wife, Amy, saw Pearl Jam in Louisville. So it was Nashville, Louisville, and St. Louis. And Pearl Jam, clearly in better, want no part of the state of Indiana. Which I'm trying to figure out why that's the case. I actually had tickets to go see them, I think, in Nashville – like in April of 2020, so that show got bagged by the pandemic. But um, let's take a guess as to which one of your buddies I ran into at the show on Saturday. <laughs> oh, let me think for a minute. I remember somebody sent a picture to me. Who was it? So that would be our mutual friend. Yes, Ash, Ash Davis. Davis. Ash Davis. Yeah, now I remember. In yeah. the amazingly small world that we live in here in central Indiana, is good friends with my freshman year roommate from college and Matt Esterman. I had not seen Esty in 20 years and ran into him and Ash at the concert on Saturday night. Ash Davis is a fine human being. Yes, he is. And he's a man about town too, as you can tell being down at the PJ show. So, and a man about two, two States apparently too. All right, man. I appreciate y'all catch up later on this week. See you, buddy. It's uh, Rakestraw on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline.